So it is widely believed among biblical scholars, uh, many church congregants, that the book of Acts is sort of a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. We see that the writing style is sort of similar. It addresses similar audiences like the Gospel of Luke. It is a continuation of the story. Seeing how the disciples of Jesus, now called apostles, continue to live and work after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. They are the ones who continue the story. And so we have in Acts the famous ascension moment, when Jesus rises above the people and the world and returns to that divine relationship with God. And those who are remaining take up that mantle, that mantle that Jesus has left for them and for us. And then we have the story of the day of Pentecost when the apostles and, in fact, all of those who were gathered experience the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And then they start sharing the story and the message of Jesus to others in ways that all people, whoever are there, whoever they are, wherever they have come from, all people are able to understand the proclamation of this message. And some people who see this happening, they say, well, the leaders are just drunk. And Peter is the one who responds. But it is not necessarily the same Peter that we saw in Luke's gospel. It is a different kind. Perhaps a Peter who has grown, who has matured, who understands more than he did before. And he shares this understanding with everyone who is gathered so that they understand. And in response, we find ourselves in that part of chapter 2 in Acts. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. God brought about 3,000 people into the community on that day. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. And the Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. I have found over the years, amongst all the supernatural occurrences and the miracles which take place in Scripture, this is the conversation I seem to hear the most about how hard it is to believe that something like this could actually happen. That so many people really had all things in common And even more so, they would sell their own possessions and they would simply give them away. It it seems like in conversations, this seems more like a fantasy than all of the healings and all of the miracles, even coming back from the dead. And And it makes me question, why in our society, why is this so hard to believe? So many people coming together and just being able to get along. One of the very first cartoons I ever remember seeing growing up was a little show called The Get Along Gang. 
And it was all these different animals. You know, they would come together. I think they hung out in like a caboose or something. And it was really just a wonderful little show about how you come together with your differences and even your quirks, the things that may get on other people's nerves. And yet, you are still able to get along. And, and we probably know many shows that, that teach us those values of being able to get along with anyone. It could be Sesame Street. It could be any number. But it always seems to be driven and, and guided towards uh, early education. And then by the time you grow up, even just a little bit, you start to see that the world works a little differently. And then we grow up, whatever that means, and then we start to see how the world really works. And then at some point we come to a story like this. Or maybe we come to Jesus teaching, like when he teaches about how we are to love our enemies, about how we are to give our shirt in addition to anyone who asks for our coat. And then the story of his followers creating a community where everyone gave from their possessions as people were in need. There are these miraculous wonders and signs, not least of which is a radical economic transformation. New Christians embracing this communal life of sharing all life together where the rich gladly sell their property and they share it with the poor. It makes me wonder, is the get-along gang really all that far-fetched? Being united and sharing everything. Is that really possible? Some might even wonder, is that even really healthy? Is it really healthy to be totally united in all things? And maybe we need to make sure that we have a healthy understanding of what it means to be united. Perhaps as we look at what it means to be United Methodist. Another practice I had as a kid was I loved action figures. And like most kids, you would get to the point where, you know, you just destroy them and your parents, for whatever reason, buy you another one. And so if you were like me, you had a whole toy box full of just the same action figure. One was missing an arm, one was missing a leg, and you would kind of piece them together. But I remember one day just kind of opening up my toy box and I had like, you know, 12 of the same person. And I remember thinking how boring life would be if you just had that one action figure to play with. What would life be like if we really were all the same? One of the things that this story in Acts shows us is that diversity matters. All of these different tribes, all of these different communities, all of these different people coming together in one neutral place and able to hear the story of Christ in a language they were able to understand. As Sophia sang, let the world hear the good news. How do we celebrate the good news amongst diversity? As Nikki mentioned apportionments, we continue to see how there are certain groups that are telling the United Methodist Church not to share those apportionments anymore as a response to what is going on in the splintering and division of our denomination. And I thought about that as I heard the stories. Because as a connectional church, 
What were to happen if we were to suddenly decide not to give our apportionments anymore? To not respond to the ministry opportunities that Nikki mentioned that had a personal impact on her life? Or what if we decided to no longer support the Florida United Methodist Children's Home or campus ministry or that ministerial educational fund, which also supported me as I went through seminary? If we just said, you know what, we're just going to focus on ourselves. And that's to say nothing of the local ministries that we are involved with. If we decided that we're not going to give any more to Salvation Army or Talbot House or Lighthouse Ministries or Migrant Ministries, if we just decided to stay united but within our own walls. And, of course, it's not just United Methodist news. This is happening in news all over the country, all over the world, news that as we hear it, it it sort of tinges at us to pit ourselves against each other. And it is easy. It is so easy to react. It is so easy to erupt. And it's also so easy to go find someone who we are united with, who may share our own views, our own viewpoints, the way that we, we respond. And it can be so easy to say, you know what? We're just not going to have anything to do with it anymore. I will never forget something a clergy mentor of mine told me years ago as he was telling me a story of how some congregation members were upset about something and decided to leave. And as he was talking with them, he said, do you really hate this thing more than you love your people? Do we really hate this thing more than we love our people? Does Jesus teach us to just splinter off and break away with the people that he also commanded us to love. Is that what it means to be a disciple? In the United Methodist Church, we see how Wesley, at the beginning of that Methodist movement, showed what it meant to follow God. You may have heard these before, the three general rules. The first one, doing no harm. By avoiding every evil of every kind, especially that which is most generally practiced. Secondly, he said, by doing good. By being in every kind merciful after their own power, as they have opportunity, doing good of every possible sort, and as far as possible, to do good by all people. And then lastly, by attending upon all the ordinances of God. And we would call those means of grace. You may remember at the beginning of 2020, which I know seems a million years ago, but we began the year with a sermon series called The Gym of Grace and what it means to practice those means of grace and how it strengthens us in our discipleship, in our walk with Christ. Works of piety, which include worship, attending to the sacraments, engaging together in Bible study, but then also works of mercy, Works that put us out into the world, helping each other. Ministries of justice, of service, ministries of giving. All of these are practices which keep us connected. They keep us connected to each other because these are practices that we can live out individually, but they are also practices that we are encouraged to participate together. 
And they connect us, not just as United Methodists, but they connect us as disciples of Christ because Christ practiced these actions as well. Rick Jeffries, who some of you may know, is on our adult council. He's been a member of this church not for very long. He just joined a couple of years ago. But in the midst of that, he has already shown a way of how we live out discipleship, not just through study, but also through conversation, also through service. And so we invite you to see now a bit of Rick's story. I've been at um, First United Methodist about um, almost, almost two years. I came right in the middle of the pandemic. I've jumped in, gotten involved, leading, leading some groups, and um, have really enjoyed learning about what the church has to offer and looking forward to getting more involved. So. Well, for me, discipleship means living out the teachings of Christ in your everyday life. In the world, we're told, you know, if somebody comes after you, you get them back and you go after them back. And Jesus says, turn the other cheek. So it's so radical. It's such a different way, counterculture, such a different way to look at things that people who really live that out are going to naturally make an impact because it's so different from what the world expects and how do you react. But when you study Christ and you study the teachings of Christ, you and live them out, you're going to be, you're going to stand out because you're going to, to be so different from what people expect in a good way. It's okay to doubt and to question and to wrestle with each, and we get into groups here and we study the Bible and we um, wrestle with questions that we don't understand and things and how do we apply that to our life. That's really important. There are, a lot, there are other faiths that sort of are, you just do what I say and that's it. You don't have a chance to question and reason. And I'm a deep thinking person. And so it's important to me to be able to reason and to think through things. And the United Methodists really allow you to do that. Um, and specifically like at our church, there's so many ways you can be involved. And not only do they offer so many ways to get out and serve and live out your um, faith in Christ... But when you need to learn more, I mean, they have intensive Bible studies and small groups and classes you can take that help you grow in your faith and help you understand better um, as you, you know, you're on your journey of your faith. So that's important that it's not only just hearing a sermon on Sunday, which that's important, but you can get in groups and dig in deeper with with your um, peers that are that are on the same journey you are. And I think that's really important. If you know or recognize Justin Long, who is our creative director, and uh, Callie Golden, who's our communications coordinator, make sure to thank them for these videos. Um, they do a fantastic job of kind of condensing it down to the, the really great pieces. These things are about 10 minutes long each, um, which we may show kind of a director's version later after the series. Um, but not only that, but, you know, just engaging in the conversation, getting the, the person to share their story. Um, Justin and Callie have just done a phenomenal job each and every week, and so uh, we just want them to know how much we appreciate the work that they're doing. Rick as well, and you may have taken his uh, class that he led on Mirror Christianity, which is a book written by C.S. Lewis. He is going to start a new one on the screw tape letters, and we really encourage you, uh, if you can, to make that or to make any of the uh, – the classes that are coming up. Fall is a great season to kind of get back into a rhythm and a practice, not only of studying scripture, but also, as Rick talked about, how it is that we engage that with each other. And it's not just about reading it and saying, okay, now I have to do this, but also asking that question, why? Or what does this mean? Or how do we live this out 2,000 years later? 
As Rick said, it is okay for us to ask those questions, and it's okay for us to be able to journey through and to see what does it mean, not just as United Methodists, but also as disciples. Because it links to that 2,000-year-old question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? One of my favorite stories in the gospel, and I know I've shared this before, comes from Mark 1, the very beginning. Jesus shows up, immediately starts doing ministry after he has gathered some of his followers. And they go from town to town, and they're performing miracles and healings. And it's it's incredible work. It's powerful. It's fantastic. And everybody is able to see the wonder of what it is that Jesus can do because of who he is. And in the midst of this, the disciples are doing it alongside him. They're able to see firsthand, but they're also able to be a part of it. And they're so excited and they're, and they're so positive and they're so energetic that they don't even notice that Jesus is missing later that night. But they all go to sleep and they wake up the next morning at dawn and they discover that Jesus is still missing. And so they go searching for him and they find him by himself praying. And they're so excited, they're so glad that they found him and they say, Master Teacher, we're so glad we found you. It's time to go heal more people. But he doesn't move. He says, let us go to the next place. And the disciples are saying, well, but we've still got work due to here. We've still got work to do here. There's more people that we need to heal. He said, no, it's time to go to the next town to proclaim the message. Because that is what I was sent to do. And it reminds me of a quote that I heard once in seminary, we would rather talk about Jesus than what Jesus talked about. Discipleship, as we know, is not just about study. It is not just about the conversations. It is not just about expanding our minds. It is about following. But of course, how do we follow someone who is not physically in front of us. Years ago, when I was in high school band and I started going to competitions, the very first one I ever did, my band instructor gave me a few pieces to look over to see which one I wanted to submit. And I remember this one, as I was playing it, I I got very confused. And so I went to him and I said, you know, I'm not sure I quite get this. Am I supposed to kind of give my own version of this? Do I, do I need to change it up a bit? Because I feel like I'm just doing exactly what the, the conductor put on paper. And my band teacher said, yes, that's the point. And that was the first time I heard the quote, imitation is the fondest form of flattery. Do exactly what you see, he said. How do we follow Christ? How do we be like Christ? First, we have to know Christ. We have to know Jesus' story. And then, we have to imitate him. And not just what he did, but why he did it. And as we start to do this, as we start to talk about it, as we start to ask questions, as we start to express our frustrations, as we then go back to the story and allow it to reveal something to us that perhaps we didn't see before, we imitate until it is no longer imitation. 
until it is instinct, until it is image. The divine image that Wesley said is that original image, the Imago Dei, the image we go back to, that Christ has been trying to get us to go back to for years. And then we transform. We become disciples. In the second episode of our podcast, Everyday Discipleship, Maggie interviewed Forrest White. Forrest is our director of missions. He quoted Thomas Merton saying, Our job is to love people without inquiring whether or not they are worthy. No one who is hungry or in prison or asked for qualifications, they are a child of God. And then he says, because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, the person who is sitting on the back row of the sanctuary or online is as capable of changing the world as the people in the pulpit. Because when we follow Jesus Christ and that, in, that transformation takes place in us, it is not just about our inward transformation. It is about the outward transformation that we share with the world. Let the world hear the good news to see who it is that Christ has always been and what it is Christ is still doing. Because when people ask why, well, why are you doing this? Why do you choose to follow Jesus? Why do you choose to help so many people? What will be our answer? What is our answer when people ask us why? Why do we worship? Why do we invite? Why do we grow? Why do we serve? Why do we be United Methodist? Why do we follow Jesus? It's not because we have to. And it shouldn't be because we're afraid of the consequence if we don't. We follow Jesus because we choose to. Because we believe it matters. And that's why we choose to be UMC. Let us pray. Gracious God, we acknowledge that it can be hard to follow you sometimes, even when we see you clearly, but perhaps even more often when we're not as clear. And so we ask that you help us to continue to see how you are alive and at work in the world. And that as we see those opportunities, that we take that opportunity to go where you are going, to do what you are doing, even alongside others who you call. May we continue to see how we follow you as United Methodists. May we continue to see how we follow you as disciples. May we continue to see how we follow you as children of God created in that wonderful image. And as we go forward with you, may we see how we are going back to that original image. For we pray all of this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we follow. Amen. Following is not easy. It is not always simple. Sometimes the path goes backwards and forwards and crossways and ways we did not even think were, were possible. And in the midst of this, we may have challenges, we may have complications, we may even forget. But as the open table always teaches us, that path leads back to God. 
And as we follow Christ, as we help one another, we see how it is that we are going back to that original image. We follow Jesus because we choose to do so, because we believe in who Jesus is, what he does, what he is doing. And we choose to do this as United Methodists. So as United Methodists, as disciples of Jesus Christ, as followers, as people, go out into the world and let the world hear the good news. And may we go in peace. Amen.